Would you turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 4? At the beginning of the chapter through verse 25 is the text this morning. And the title of the message is, Can You Hear Me Now? I seem to be titling my uh, messages uh, in commercial style, but uh, the picture that you see there as you're trying to find your way to the passage is uh, a picture of a wheat field near the cave of Adullam I took while in Israel. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons to go to Israel is to take about 3,000 pictures to put on your slides. Uh, but it's, it's appropriate uh, to bring this up because chapter 4 is one of the, the first places in the Gospel of Mark where we have any extended teaching from Jesus. It's the so-called parable of the sower. You may have heard that term used for it. It's also called the parable of the soils, which I think is a better term as we'll, uh, as we'll see as we investigate the, uh, the parable here. But uh, what I want to show you next, though, it's, it's something very important that you watch what the people in white are doing. You need, to, uh, you need to watch very closely what they're doing and count the number of times the people wearing white, only the people wearing white, pass the basketball. Okay? That could be direct passes or it could be bounced passes, whatever you like, but just watch count very carefully what they do. Okay, so how many passes did you count? Fifteen. Wow, that's great. You, you really paid attention. Was there anyone else involved in the video? Did you see the gorilla? You did? You saw him? Okay. How, how many of you, can you admit this? How many of you didn't see the gorilla? Uh, okay, so, uh, don't feel bad. They say that about half of the people who watch this video don't see the gorilla. Okay, you lost him because I told you very emphatically to watch the people wearing white. So he didn't register as you went by. And you know, that's the thing about uh, the details, not only of this parable, but the details of life. And so, really, our message this morning is about how to apply the parable of the soils. So let's read the passage. We're going to start with the parable itself and then go to its explanation by Jesus. He began to teach by the sea. He began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and he was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, 
and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's the parable. And I think it should be called the parable of the soils because it really is about the soil. The sower is an incidental character in the parable. And so the explanation follows right on the heels of the parable. Verse 10, as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Here's the explanation. The sower sows the word. Now there's one for scripture memory there. Um, we could start with that. You could say I've memorized a whole verse. The sower sows the word. Now you can imagine Jesus pointing, you know, these, the others, and those. He says, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on, the, on whom the seed was sown on rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. And then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and when they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. There are four soils in this passage, and uh, I, I've, I've named them roadside, rocky, thorny, and good. And of course, you recognize that the good soil is separated out in the explanation of the parable. And when we think about these three soils here, we also see that they, the three soils that failed, the roadside, rocky, and thorny, they didn't produce a crop. The good soil produces a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold. Do you see the balance there between the three soils that failed and the 30, 60, and 100 fold? So it's very rhetorically balanced. Uh, I won't go in, into the whole detail, the structure of the passage. You'd, you'd think I was finding menorahs in, in everything I teach, but it's there. Um, and so really the crop is about uh, multiplying your understanding. Now, we, we get so focused, I think, sometimes in the interpretation of some parables that we're trying to make the details walk on all fours. And so you find people uh, uh, asking the question, okay, so which of these people are saved? And, you know, it's, it's easy to say, well, the, the people by the roadside aren't saved, and the good soil of people who are saved. 
And then you ask yourself, is that really what Mark is talking about? I, I can understand how, why you would raise those questions because it's about the kingdom of God, but there's more to it than that. If you fixate on trying to answer the question, which one of these soils is saved, you miss the big picture. The gorilla comes across and goes and walks off and you miss the point. Okay? But this parable is also about that too. As we all focus, as people focus on their human ideas, their, their human interests, God is right there in front of them. The gorilla walks on. And God is saying, hey, I'm right here. Uh, and people miss him because they're worried about all of this other stuff. So let's try to, to uh, get the overall picture the purpose of the parable. So the, the, the crop at the end is really about multiplying your understanding of the word. The crop doesn't really symbolize eternal life, although that could be, I mean, that's part of it naturally. But really what Mark is focused on more than that is about understanding the word. And so I'm going to validate this for you because when we look in the Gospel of Mark, not other, not other passages. Don't turn to Matthew and say, you shall know them by their fruit or something like that. Don't, don't do that. That's not what this passage is about. But if you look to other places in the Gospel of Mark where people are responding to the Word, what, how they respond to the Word, we could, we could point to a couple of groups of people at least as roadside soil. The Pharisees, for instance, in chapter 2. Hey, he's breaking the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. And, and, you know, you have to shake your head at people like that. It's like, why are you putting your religious rule-keeping above human need? How about the Herodians? The Herodians were a political group. They wanted to put a descendant of Herod back on the throne and throughout the Romans. Those folks are, in Mark's story, the roadside soil because Jesus preaches the word to them and it just bounces off. Okay, it's very much like our modern cynics, you know, just, eh, we've heard that. We've been there, we've done that. And they miss the gorilla, where God is pounding his chest at them and saying, here I am, and they're missing him. Then there's the rocky soil. And, and uh, I, I know I'm on thin ice with this one here, so just roll with me. Okay? But the crowd is very much the rocky soil kind of person, because... They heard Jesus preaching, they saw his miracles, and they attra he, uh, he uh, attracted a crowd. And the, cr the crowd come, and they say, wow, this is great. But when it really comes down to it, when they start learning more of the truth, they turn away. And the, actually, they, they end up being somewhat like the roadside, roadside soil in that at the end of the story, they're the ones who are shouting, crucify. So they're pliable in this story. So they're the rocky soil. Do you ever think about who the thorny soil might be? Now I'm not, say, I'm not necessarily saying that Mark intended us to make this, connection, this specific connection here, but Herod Antipas is a really good example of what we might call the thorny soil. Remember, the thorns are what are already there 
The word is sown, someone hears it, but then the concerns of life, the desire for riches, and Jesus, Jesus gets you on, on the tail end of that because he says, and the desires for other things. So it could be anything. Okay? Like Paul always says, and stuff like this. Okay? So Jesus does the same thing here. But you remember Herod Antipas. Now Herod is the, the Herod Antipas. They're all called Herod in the Bible, but uh, this isn't Herod the Great. This is Herod Antipas. Remember Herod was the one who had John arrested because Herod had divorced his wife to marry his brother's wife. And John said, uh, you can't do that. So Herod threw him in prison, but was waffling. And we read in Mark chapter 6 in a flashback, okay, it's a, it's a flashback back to how John ended up in prison, and then, a, and then a forward flash to where John is just before he was put to death. Mark explains, Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. Have you heard people like this? Have you ever run into people like this that they like hearing about the Bible because it's inspiring or, you know, hey, what neat stories. Wow, parable of the soils. Yeah, yeah, there's a crop. Oh, how beautiful. What a beautiful story. But they can't figure it out. And you say, what, what do you think the meaning of that is? Well, you know, whatever. I don't know. And you say, wait, wait, wait. Don't you want to know the truth? Like, don't you want to know whether you've got a relationship with God or not? You hear the, you hear the, uh, the testimonies of people who are uh, these famous people who, as they approach death, they say, gee, I just don't know. It's like, what? You, you're staking your eternal future on I don't know? He was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. And you know what happens in this story? If you keep reading in Mark chapter 6, we won't, we won't go into all the details. But he, he throws this party. Uh, his stepdaughter dances. He's really impressed. So he, sa he makes this rash vow. He says, I'll give you whatever you'd like. And the girl goes to her mother and says, what, what should I ask for? And she says, John the Baptist's head. Okay, so Herod granted her her request. That night, John is put to death. For what? So he can impress his rich friends? See, those are the thorns. Those are the cares and the concerns of the world that are keeping Herod from really grasping the truth and having a, a, a relationship with God. Well, so the crop in our story, in the parable, is multiplying your understanding, is getting a hold of what the Word of God is saying and accepting it. Now, um, I, uh, at a church that uh, Lisa and I were at in, in Dallas uh, uh, a few years before we moved here, we've been here 10 years now, can you believe it? Um, before we moved here, uh, we were at a small church and, and uh, we got asked to teach the kids. Um, 
I'm much better at teaching adults. <laughs> but at least Lisa w was, was there, and, and this was the passage we were, we were going to teach to the kids. And so we got some wheat berry seeds. You know, you know what wheat berry grass is? You can, you can plant it and it'll just shoot up overnight almost. You know, just very, very quick, very beautiful green grass will shoot up. Now, I know those of you who are really analytical like me will say, yeah, well, that's more like a, a picture of the, the, the rocky soil, you know, because it didn't have much depth of root. But play with me for a minute, okay? And so uh, our little class project, you know, in the Sunday school class was teach the parable and then have the kids plant some seed, you know, take it home with them and watch the seed uh, go up. And, and I was teaching them about the different kinds of soil. And I said, you know, really the, the, the whole purpose of this, this, uh, this passage is to, um, is, to, is to make you realize that you need to be good soil. And um, the, about, he was maybe four or five, this kid, one young boy was maybe about four or five years old, maybe about, maybe about Brett's age or so. And uh, he, he was the, uh, the assistant pastor's son. And he said, I want to be good soil. I want to be good soil. And he just kept saying that, you know. He, well, he, he left the class going, I want to be good soil. And the, the pastor, the assistant pastor came to me later and he said, he's been saying that for weeks. <laughs> I want to be good soil. Well, you know, that's, that's the point. That's what I want for you. I'm going to come back to it. But the purpose of the parables here is what we need to turn to now and understand. Now, if you're a real estate professional, your mantra, can I use that word? Your chant is location, 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 right? Okay, if you're in biblical studies, your chant is context, context, context. Okay, they're really the same thing, right? The value of a property is really determined by where it is. The meaning of a text is really determined by where it is. Now, if somebody said to me, what's the secret of Bible study? I'd say, well, you said secret. There's probably several. But uh, like I tell my, my Greek and Hebrew students, I say, anything that makes you slow down when you read the Bible is a good thing. But maybe the rule I can apply here is one of my own making. It's keep reading. The secret to good Bible study is keep reading. So we're going to keep reading. Okay, so we don't stop before the passage is over. He was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the second time he said this. So the question you're asking as you encounter this is, how do you get good soil? How do you become good soil? I want to be good soil. Here's the secret 
to getting good soil. It's in verses 24 and 25. This is why you got to keep reading. Look at this. He was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. It's kind of a dire warning, isn't it? But what does it mean, more will be given to him? If you want to understand the Bible, God will give you understanding of the Bible. The Spirit will be at work. Jesus says in chapter 6 of John, if anyone wants to know my will, he'll know about my teaching. So it isn't a question of it being esoteric or hard to understand. Even Marines can understand the Bible, can't they, Tom? Yeah, <laughs> just barely, he says. Uh, <clears throat> it's not a question of intellectual ability. It's not a question of understanding the imagery of the parable. It's not a question of understanding the all of the other technical details, it's really a question of whether you want to receive what God is saying in His Word. And so that's why the title of the message is, Can You Hear Me Now? Where Jesus is saying, Can you hear me now? Do you see the gorilla? Can you hear me now? He was saying to them, now, go back to verse four, uh, uh, sorry, verses 11 and 12. This is the center of the passage. Okay, so the passage runs from 1 to 25, and the center of the passage, where usually the, the key to the interpretation is, is, is these two verses, 11 and 12. Now, verse 12 is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. We'll come to that in just a second, but you see there are two key words here as to what this parable is about. He was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. So the, mis the mystery of the kingdom and seeing and hearing are our key terms here with which to understand what the parable is about. Actually, the parable of the seed, or the parable of the soils, is actually a parable about parables. As New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass says in his book, uh, Stories with Intent. Um, it's, a, it's an excellent, comprehensive guide to the parables of the New Testament. Do you see what he says here, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. Does Isaiah 6 ring a bell to you? Isaiah 6 is that, is that passage that starts, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw God in his temple. Yeah, Isaiah has this vision, and the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. You know that passage, right? Well, this is the tail end of that, of that first part of that passage where Isaiah is being told, look, I'm going to send you out, and there's going to be a lot of resistance to your message, but, but remain faithful. And they're going to see and not see. They're going to be watching the people passing the basketballs and miss the gorilla. They're going to hear and not hear because they don't want to hear. 
I'm not listening. I'm not listening. So Isaiah's vision and mission, Isaiah's warned, just like many of the prophets. I mean, this is the story of the prophets, isn't it? God raises up a prophet, gives him a message, and they say, no. God raises up a prophet, gives him a message, and they say, no. And then they kill him, usually. Isaiah is rejected by Israel. Well, I'll send my son to them. That'll do the trick. Another parable. No, Isaiah is rejected by Israel. Jesus is rejected by Israel. So the question we're asking is, what are we going to do with this passage? Are you going to repeat history or break the cycle? Are you going to continue to be roadside soil or are you going to break the cycle? Uh, Late uh, 19th century humorist Max Beerbohm said, History, it has been said, does not repeat itself. The historians repeat each other. Isn't that funny? Why does history repeat itself? Well, it's because people make the same bad decisions over and over again. They make the same stupid mistakes. But it's really not bad decisions and stupid mistakes. It's really sin. It's really rejection of God and His message and His word. So when we come down to the end of the passage, Jesus warns His hearers, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. How you listen determines what you get. And how you listen determines what the crop is going to be. That's how you get to be good soil. Now, various translations uh, grapple with this, take care what you listen to. NASB says, take care what you listen to. NIV says, uh, consider carefully what you hear. ESV says, pay attention to what you hear. Or King James says, take heed to what you hear. They're all grappling with the, the wording here, which uh, <clears throat> quite literally is, see what you hear. Watch out. That's what that see there. But if you're reading it in the Greek text, you notice the word see and the word hear in a way you wouldn't otherwise. This is why, guys, we make you take two and a half years of Greek and two years of Hebrew okay, at the seminary. Huh. Isn't that fun? <laughs> see what you hear. Seeing they may see and hearing they may not, they may not hear or understand. See how the, the terminology comes back together here and he says, see what you hear. So his audience would have gone, oh boy, that was a nice turn of phrase, but what does it mean? Okay. I'm supposed to be careful about what I hear and careful about how I hear. And this would, of course, evoke one of the most central passages to all of Israelite worship. It's said every Saturday still in Judaism, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone is our God. Or the Lord is our, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Continuing that same passage, it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 10 or so. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Word of God is supposed to permeate every aspect of life when you're at home, when you're on the road when you're lying down, when you get up, it should be in front of you all the time because the seed has to spend time in the soil to put down its roots and to make connections. That's what produces the crop. He says, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. The last part of verse 24 is really about the grace of God. It's not you. It's the Spirit working through the Word that does the growth, but you have to be receptive to it. And there we find that age-old paradox of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Ultimately, those plants that don't produce a crop, I mean, they, they look like good plants, but in the end, they don't produce a crop. And those plants are cleared away. There's nothing to them. If you're a plant in my wife's garden, you'd better bloom, <laughs> or you're going to be pulled up. Sometimes she waits another year, and the, the reluctant plant will bringing a little bloom. But I tell you, she's merciless. If it doesn't bloom, it's out of there. We don't have not much space in the garden, so we, you know, we need stuff that produces. So how do you get good soil? Well, actually, when you, there are some people that I left out of the story. It's the disciples. If you track how they respond to the word, it's really surprising. You'd think, oh yeah, they're on the inside. They have the insight into the mysteries of the kingdom. Yeah, Jesus is with them. Wow. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if God would just like come down and live in a tent in our midst? That would really solve all of our problems, wouldn't it? No. <laughs> you know I'm talking about the Exodus generation. They had problems. Well, the disciples had problems too. And as it turns out, the disciples are evidence of mixed soil in all of us. So we're not just one type of soil. Because when we read about the disciples in, John, in uh, Mark 6.52, for instance, they hadn't gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Wait a minute. Are we talking about Herod? No, we're talking about Peter. Oh, well, wait a minute. Chapter 8, Jesus is aware of this. That he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, hey, we didn't bring any bread. Do you think he knows? No, he's not talking about that. But he says, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Don't you yet see or understand? You have a hardened heart. I think that's it. So the disciples are mixed soil. So are we. And to quote my nearest and dearest expert in gardening, my wife, she says, good soil is hard work. She said that recently as she came in from weeding 
and gardens. So what does good soil require? How do you get good soil? How do you become good soil? Okay, two points and we're done. Bear with me. First point is remove the rocks. Okay. Get the rocks out of there. Get anything below the surface that's going to interfere with the gemination of that seed of the Word. Get it out of there, below the surface. Above the surface in just a second. I had Alex read you this passage. The beginning of wisdom is this. Acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. The Proverbs says there's nothing more important than understanding the Word of God. So remove the rocks. Okay, that's below the surface, right? You, you prepare the, 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 the heart, you prepare the soil. And so what we, what we find out is that we're not just the soil, we're not just lying there passively like dirt. Okay, we're also the farmer, we're not the sower, Right, but we're the farmer. It's our responsibility to dig into that soil because you know it gets dry, and you've got to kind of do your thing with it. They they even sell special tools for you know like clawing up dry soil. I've never used any of those. I like the I like the effects of gardening. I don't actually like doing it. Uh, what I do uh, what I do when I get into the garden is I step on the plants that Lisa doesn't want me to step on then I'm really in trouble. Well, good soil also requires you, first of all, to remove the rocks, but it also requires you to pull the weeds, okay? Those thorns, all that stuff that's already there. Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31 say this, I pass by the field of the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. His face was covered with nettles, and the stone wall was broken down. Now, you don't think this is about agriculture, do you? I mean, it's a, it's a good example of what happens when you neglect things physically, but really, the writer of the proverb is wanting you to think more deeply, if I could say it that way. You have to go deep for the soil, right? So good soil requires you to pull the weeds as well. Now, of course, <laughs> good soil is hard work. I had read somewhere that, uh, that uh, putting coffee grounds in the soil was a good idea. So I started uh, taking the coffee grounds from my espresso machine, throwing them into the potted plants out there. And then Lisa began to notice, for some reason, the plants weren't doing so well. And she started to ask me, what is wrong with that soil? <laughs> well, I had to admit that I'd been putting <laughs> coffee grounds. I mean, actually makes the soil look rather rich, but uh, that's not what you need. Okay? You have, you've got to mix it in there. And too much coffee can, well, anyway, I won't explain that. Look, if I tried to explain gardening to you, I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm not a gardener. I appreciate flowers. Jesus says... Behold, the lilies of the field, how they grow. And the more you know about them, the more appreciation you can have for them. So learn the names of the plants, guys. You can, you can impress people as well. But so good soil requires us to remove the rocks, 
and to pull the weeds. So my desire for you is to be like that assistant pastor's son and say, I want to be good soil. I want to be good soil. So remove the rocks, pull the weeds. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that we are not left alone to dig in this field, but that the Spirit aids us as we humble ourselves and as we discipline ourselves to do what is right. We remain diligent to watch over the growth of the Word in our lives and to allow it to take full root and to have its full effect. We ask, Father, that you will transform us from the hard-hearted soil we are to be rich, productive, a hundredfold fields. And we give you thanks for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.